This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm hosting this one, John Siegley. We are sponsored, as always, by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. We got a very special roundtable episode. We've got the crew assembled of Mike Ingersoll, Jason Staples, Tommy Ashley, and Buck Sanders going to be giving our thoughts on the football season that was. Going to go ahead and start this one off, though, by handing the floor over to Mr. Buck Sanders, who I believe has a bone to pick with Mr. Mike Ingersoll about his preseason selection for what he thought the record would be. So, uh, Buck, let's go ahead and clear the air. What do you have to say to Ole Ingersoll here? Well, you know, uh, after I got to tabulate and everything, I, I did remember when we did the podcast that Ingersoll was the only one that uh, predicted that uh, North Carolina would not go bowling. Everybody else had North Carolina at least at 6-6, six and six. Ingersoll was the only exception, I thought. Uh, but actually, Ross Martin also checked in at uh, five and seven. But after I also did the calculations, um, you know, uh, Ross was more right game by game than I was or anybody else was. Um, Ross was. He had seven right head-to-head, and I only had six right. Jason had five right, and the winner, ding, 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 Tommy Ashley checking in with eight straight-up predictions uh, from our preseason forecast. So, uh, But Mike did just as well as I did. He picked six. I picked six, although uh, the ones that he picked – Game by game, he and Ross only had us at five and seven. Everybody else had a winning season. So it wasn't as much of a a bone to pick as I thought it was after I did the math. Well, let me jump in real quick because Ingersoll has been on fire here uh, talking before we uh, got started, got recording with John being our gracious host. Mike, you pick Carolina loser state. Yeah. And, uh, that didn't happen. I'm curious as to how you can <laughs> utter those words. Um, Everybody picks state to win, Tommy. <laughs> Damn it, Buck. Nobody remembers what we talked about back then. <laughs> I, I actually no, went I, back. I actually, I was late to this podcast. I'm going to give full disclosure. But uh, earlier, I did go back and listen to the entire preseason podcast, as painful as that was. Um, and, you know, uh, every single one of us picked NC State to win. Uh, so, yeah, that we was were before all we all knew they were going to be terrible, though. And That's before true. we knew, and before we knew that we had all world at quarterback at all all six foot six foot one inches of them. And oh come on, he's laser, not six one. Laser laser rocket arm and ninety eight thousand passing yards and freshman touchdown records and I mean. We didn't know that was going to happen either. So, well, that's just something to keep in mind when we do preseason podcasts. That uh, you know, there's a lot of things that happen during the season we have no way of foreseeing. So, uh, that's the way that cookie crumbles. I, I'll say this and and bring Jason into it. And John, I'm I'm, I'm usurping your power here. Um, How dare you! I I will say this: six and six, I think, is a very good season for North Carolina, but. All six and sixes are not alike. And I think this version of six and six for North Carolina was as good as it possibly could be. According to Buck, it was a winning season. (laughs) When did I say that? (laughs) The tail end of your your opening remarks, Counselor. 
That was uh, our predictions. Remember. Our predictions. Oh yeah, though. those were our predictions. Oh, all of us, okay. all of us so, predicted a bowl game. Uh, so, in other words, someone have the court reporter. Someone have the court reporter read the transcript back, please. Yeah, I, I read the transcript earlier today, but all of us predicted the bowl game. I've been reading the tea leaves all Ross. season. Well, so uh, so there so you go, Jason. Six and six, Carolina's version of six and six. That's pretty solid success, right? I, I felt like going to a bowl this season would be a success. I mean, we talked about that on the on the opening podcast. It's you know seven and five was probably optim that we we all felt that that was going to be optimistic, and that uh, six and six was probably the the realistic target, and that's what we hit. You know, that's 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 what we saw, and uh, and and the thing was. As has already been said, this six and six was better than expected because it was a six and six where you lose by one to Clemson. I, I mean, all of us had talked about like we didn't even talk about that game. Like, well, they're going to lose to Clemson because, well, they dang near beat Clemson. There are a couple other of those losses that really easily could have been wins. Now, granted, <laughs> there were a lot of wins that could have been losses. I mean, the crazy thing is against the Power Five opponents going into the NC State game. You realize that Carolina had scored exactly the number of points that their opponents had scored on the season going into the NC State game. I mean, it was exactly the same number of points scored. That's how that's how on the margin this season was. So you're not just talking six and six. You're talking competitive in every game. I mean, but the thing is, when you beat a South Carolina team that beat Georgia, when you take Clemson to the wire, you're, you're, what you're seeing is a step forward in terms of the quality of play. It's not just about the six wins. It's about the quality of play on the field and reestablishing some, some cultural uh, movement and how to prepare, how to, how to play to a certain standard. And they got a lot closer to that than just the six and six record would suggest, I think. So, uh, so that I think is, is a, a major win for, uh, for the staff, and I think uh, if you had if you had the uh, the truth serum to to put into the staff this before this season, and you said, and then you asked them, okay, what what what's your realistic goal? I I suspect they'd have said, look, if we make a bowl this year, we 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 had a good year, and I suspect at the beginning of the year they would have said that. Now that's not what they're going to say to their players. That's not what they're going to going to push for. That's not what your goal is, but getting the 15 bowl practices, being able to show progress to the recruits, all of that stuff, and also going out with a throttling of NC State on their home field, which basically you're able to put your stamp on the end of the season and say, we're back. Mac is running the flagship program. Who wants in? That's, a, that, that's completely a successful season. All right, so let's do this. Let, let's let's try to quantify the season. Let's give it the traditional rating one out of ten. Jason, since you were just going, go ahead and start with you. What would you give it one out of ten, and give just a sentence or two of the explanation? And we'll just go around the room, given getting everyone's thoughts for that. Okay, and I'm actually going to add a, a corollary to this, and that is it's one out of ten, but nobody can vote or nobody can nobody can say seven. Okay, that's fair. Because the, the tendency, anytime you give a one to 10 and you want to kind of take that middle ground where it's good, but is you take a seven. So you have to say, okay, let's just, you can't say that one because that's, that's just going to be too middle of the road or whatever. Nerd. Um, and no yeah, halves, well, no, no yeah, halves, no halves. So six and six on the season. Uh, so 10 being the best, the most successful season you're going to have. Uh, give and and we're doing this on the basis of what could reasonably be expected. You're saying, yeah. So just how the season played out. In other words, looking at it in complete 2020 hindsight, how the results were. How do you rate the success sitting here tonight? I'd say it's an eight. Uh, making a bowl immediately makes that. And then the the thing to me that 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 elevates this to that level is absolutely throttling so winning so beating duke you're one of your most important rivals and then throttling your most important recruiting rival in state that that elevates this to an eight to me that that 
And and to, uh, for that matter, also them not going to a bowl and then you going to a bowl after destroying them on their home field. And then you combine that with some of the recruiting results. To me, it's a solid eight in, in the first year uh, in terms of development and all that other stuff. The only you would you would wanted to win a couple of those other games on the margin and all of that to, you know, get to seven or eight wins. But I, realistically, I mean, I think I think where they ended up was was almost as good as what you could have expected at the beginning of the year. And then to do that with the, with a couple of the additional factors, I'm going to put it in an eight. All right. Let's hear from Mr. Doom and gloom as the message board will call him every now and then Tom Ashley. How would you rate the season, man? <laughs> I, I unmuted my uh, microphone, by the way, because I thought Sigley was coming to me on that. So a little, little unfortunate self-awareness. Continue, Tommy. <laughs> Tommy, you're, you're and muted, then Tommy, man. Tommy kept himself muted because of lack of self awareness on the other direction. I uh, know, really. Uh, full disclosure: I was on mute, so um, I'll try to replay what I just talked about when I was talking trash about Mike. Um, I actually thought they were going to Mike with the doom and gloom comment. So <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what great. I kind of expected too. I feel great about myself. Um, appreciate you helping me out there, Buck. Just staying silent on me. Um, None of this is being edited out. None. No, I'll leave it all in there. So it's the last show of, and it's uh, Thursday night late, and we're late getting started. So just let it fly. Uh, I don't want to copy Jason, but I agree that it's an eight. And when I said earlier, all six and sixes aren't the same. If you'd have told me before the season, Carolina's going to go six and six, they're going to beat a huge coastal rival in Miami, they're going to beat South Carolina, they're going to beat Duke and NC State but they're going to go six and six. I said, I'll take it given everything else. Now they had some horrific losses. They never should have lost to Virginia Tech. They should have beaten Pitt. Um, and we can talk about Wake and App State all you want to, but you give me those four wins and, and who those teams are. I don't know talking about how good they either were or weren't, but the importance as Jason's talked about is the recruiting and the, reasserting your your dominance for lack of a better word in the order of colleges uh, beat miami south carolina state and duke go six and six i think it's a solid eight all right so since i called tommy ashley doom and gloom let's call mike fire and brimstone or hellfire and brimstone to even make it more dramatic what about hellfire. you Ingersoll? hellfire hellfire uh i, I mean it's a What's going to piss Jason off the most? I'm going to give it a 7.5. <laughs> Boo A 7.5. Boo Nerd. Well, the statistics say that if you have uh, choices of 1 to 10, and it's moderately good, but you don't want to commit all the way to a 10 invested whatever, but you're not doom and gloom like Tommy Ashley, it's, uh, you're going to fall somewhere in the 7 is what the statistics say. Nerd. <laughs> As the guy who was was looking up chapter and verse of the North Carolina law code before on air as we were, it's called the North Carolina General Statutes. Thank you very much. Oh well, there you go. Thanks, nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, so Tommy Tommy makes a very good point. Uh, All six and sixes are not created equally. Um, It is objectively a five on a one to ten scale, but it is subjectively an eight or a nine. So I'll. I'll, I'll I'll go with the what is so far has been the consensus. I'll I'll side with Jason on this one. Uh, I see it I see it as an eight, maybe even an eight point five. And I and that's because I had predictions early in the season and I harped on it every time John EJ and I hopped on a podcast this season. I harped on four and eight looks like a failure, but it's actually a success for this team. And if this team can go four and eight and they can they can win a rivalry game. And they can they can keep it close in in the eight losses that it will be, um, the the season will look much better and it will be much more of a success than it looks on paper. Um, the fact that they went six and six for everything that that Jason and Tommy just pointed out, you know, you beat your rival NC State, you don't just beat them. I mean, you smoke them um, at home after being down at halftime when it looked like 
Heelstradamus Ingersoll over here was going to be right about, eh, they're not going to lose a state and it's not going to be the season you all think it's going to be. Uh, they came out, they, they came out in the second half. <laughs> they came out in the second half and they just smoked those dudes. And I mean, for, take it from somebody who had a lot of heartbreak against that team. Um, frankly, teams that I played on, which were from a talent perspective, in a scheme perspective, substantially better than those NC State teams that just happen to somehow lose every single one of those games for four straight years. Uh, it is it is sweet vindication um, <laughs> to be in a position where all they're going to do is screw up our season, which is the position I always found myself in. But this time we came out on the other side of it, right? And we and and we we made them we embarrassed them on their home field. So that alone made the season better, but. But it was pointed out earlier that you beat a coastal rival in Miami, a game you weren't supposed to win. You beat South Carolina, a game you weren't supposed to win. And early on in the season at 2-0, and I'm sitting there like, well, I mean, this, team's, this team might actually be a lot better than I thought. And I tried not to hop on the hype train with everybody else. Uh, I fully expected Carolina to win one or two games that they weren't supposed to win, and they were going to lose one or two games that they weren't supposed to lose. App State was my trap game, and sure enough, they lost it. Um, and they should have won that game. Um, but the 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 truth of the matter is that of the six losses, they should have won every single one of those games. And it's one one or two plays in each game that you can point out. For Wake Forest, it was you know Jonathan Smith, God rest his soul, um, Jonathan Smith, not running past the returner on 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 one of our punts on our punt coverage. Right, if he had just run past the re- run past the returner like he was supposed to. Chaz Surratt, or uh, sorry, Sage Surratt, I think, was back there returning kicks. Sage fumbles the ball. It goes backwards. You would have picked it up, scooped and scored from the seven-yard line. At worst, you're at first and goal from the five or the six. Um, And maybe that game looks completely different. But you don't do that. They recover the fumble. Next thing you know, it's 21 to nothing, and it's a totally different game. That's that's the weight game. Right, and every game had something in it. They had one play you could you could you clearly point to that they should have won, and that was not the position that I thought Carolina was going to be in in the preseason. But I still thought four and eight was going to be a success. So objectively, it's a five. It's middle of the road. It, it, it's it's exactly what it looks like. But subjectively, under the circumstances, it's a wild success, and I'm super excited about the bowl game. I don't care. I, I could care less. I mean, it could have been the it could have been the you know the Bush's baked bean bowl. I don't really care. Anything would have been great. Um, and any opponent is great because you know this this team, as far as I'm concerned, is far ahead of schedule. Now they just need to build on it going into the next year. All right, saving the best for last, Buck. You've heard three eights so far. Final thought on this is yours. What do you got for us? Well, I, I was thinking uh, I was going to give Mike Ingersoll answer and go 7.5, but he already stole my thunder on that. Uh, you know, I think eight is a good number, and I, I think one of the things that we've talked about a lot of stuff, the closeness of the games and uh, you know, playing Clemson close and uh, beating your in-state rivals. But, you know, one one other thing we could talk about is North Carolina didn't lose to uh, a team this year that's going bowling. Uh, the, all the teams that they lost to, um, you know, the probably the worst team, uh, worst record-wise uh, that they lost to was Miami, and they're six and six. Uh, or they they beat Miami. Sorry, they didn't. Uh, probably Pittsburgh at seven and five. Uh, so the teams that North Carolina lost to all had winning records, and you know North Carolina is famous for you know every now and then throwing up a, a game where, uh, you know, they lose to a very poor team. Now we can argue about Appalachian state and the fact that it's a Sunbelt team or whatever it is, um, not Sunbelt. What is it? Uh, AAC or is it? Sunbelt? No, there's Sun, Sunbelt. Fun yeah. Belt, yeah. Yeah. Fun belt, baby. Uh, you know, we could argue about whether North Carolina should have beaten them at home and all this sort of thing. But, you know, all those teams are have got winning records are going bowling. And, uh, you know, the, the margin of victory was, you know, so slight in every case that, uh, you know, that that's a, just another feature of the kind of season that it was, you know, that North Carolina didn't lose to 
a really bad East Carolina team like they did last year. Uh, so that's just something else to throw in the mix. I think eight is a good number, um, you know, for, for this season. You know, if they, had they gone seven and five, would that have pushed it to a nine? I don't know. Uh, probably eight and four would have gotten them to a nine. If they'd have beaten Virginia Tech, yeah. to me, that's yeah. a nine. Yeah. Because, that, because the, to me, the thing that makes this season such a success is who are the teams that you really have to beat for North Carolina in terms of recruiting and in terms of establishing the program for the future and, and, and credibility with your recruits in terms of the regional guys that you're going to be going against? Who are the, who are the, who are the programs that you have to recruit against that, that, that in order to get where Mac Brown wants to go? Miami? NC State, Virginia Tech, South Carolina, and then probably stick Duke in there as the next one in terms of the programs that you're going to be recruiting against. Well, geez, you you, you beat all of those teams except for one. And, and, of course, Clemson, right? Clemson's on there, and you dang near beat Clemson. You showed that you can compete with Clemson. So there's the teams that, that if you're going to circle these teams on the calendar in terms of these are the teams that we're going to we're going to want we're going to have to win recruiting battles against all the time in order to make sure that that this program gets to where it needs to go those are the teams that you circle on the schedule and especially you circle that Clemson game because you start winning battles with them in recruiting and you're you're a national player but you have to start beating you know you have to lock down your state which starts by embarrassing NC state and then not only embarrassing them but embarrassing them in such a way that basically Everybody knows that Doran is going to go into next year on the hot seat, but they can't afford to fire him. So it's potentially two lame duck classes in a row. One where he's, you know, this year kind of where players have kind of jumped off. Then next year, that that hamstrings that program and that allows you to 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 lock down your borders more. Duke matters in terms of locking down your borders. And then Virginia Tech, Virginia is and is is within the the, the state as far as north as far as uh, Mac is concerned. And then you go down to South Carolina, and you're looking at South Carolina and and uh, and and recruiting against them and, and Clemson. So those are the teams that you're you're trying to circle as as potential teams you're recruiting against, and you dang near beat Clemson, which you shouldn't be in the game with them. And then you, you, if you beat Virginia Tech, this is a nine to me because of that. And that's the only thing that, that, uh, that held, held me back from that because I agree with Mike. You know, even four wins is probably – I mean, that's progress. You get six, that's great. You get six against the teams they got them against, that matters for recruiting. Definitely. Guys, let's go ahead and take a very quick commercial break, though, to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. If you're going to be on Franklin Street, the holidays are right around the corner. You can stop into their location there, where they have been in business for decades. You can find anything that you could want for the Tar Heel fan in your family. If you can't make it to Franklin Street, you can always shop online at GiantT-Shirt.com. Still get that same great customer service. And the same great selection. And also remember that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders at GiantT-Shirt.com or at their location on Franklin Street. You can get that 10% off code at either the Basketball Premium Message Board or the Tar Pit Premium Message Board. Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. Something that just popped into my head, guys, a real quick fun game. Go around the, the room here. What's the one thing that you would want from Giant T-Shirt for your wish list Carolina present this year? Stocking stuffer, true gift, whatever. What would you want if you could get anything? Tommy, start with you. Uh, Mike Ingersoll throwback jersey. Love it. Jason? <laughs> Give me a second. I got to think because there's so much good stuff there. It'd probably be something golf related. I got to look at their at their whole thing and get a good one here. All right. Who else is ready? Mike or Buck? Come on, throw something out quick. Mike, what about you? What do you want from Christmas from Johnny T? Uh, you know, I want you know, I need a new Carolina Law t-shirt. Um, and I don't feel like going dumpster diving like Tommy apparently is gonna do. So I'll take something I'll take something off the rack with a tag still on it. Thank you. Yeah, hey, I went right. to the uh, I, I went to the uh, old jersey sale and they're cleaning out the surplus and there was like one jersey left and it was Ingersoll's and I, I jumped on it. Nice. <laughs> Jason, did you come up with an idea yet? Yeah, you know what? They've 
I'm I'm a bucket hat guy when it comes to the golf course. You know, I don't I I I shave my head, so you know, I got I got nothing there to uh, go against the sun. And they got some quality bucket hats, so uh, that that would probably be my thing. A, a nice UNC branded uh, bucket hat would be the way to go. I like yeah, it. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. That's the old a, ball heads. That's a good call. I know Tommy with his nicely waxed and shaved dome there in the bowls lot if, if anyone missed that site make sure that you swing by next season uh, unfortunately buck had some some technical difficulties he'll be rejoining the podcasters just here in a second but we'll go ahead and move on yeah there you go buck yeah i, I want a uh, unc jersey with a tommy ashley number on it would that just be the backup quarterback jersey yeah i think so Okay. Yeah, but, with that, but with Ashley, with, with the name Ashley above it, that's the thing. It's got to be back that's up the quarterback's number, but it's got to say Ashley. So, yeah. yeah so uh, yeah. So Johnny, if you're listening, we need an Ashley jersey for Buck Sanders, <laughs> um, shipped out immediately. <laughs> that that, that can be that can be the uh, the 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 new thing for next season where we bet we we have some bets going during the season, and whoever loses these bets has to wear the jer- like the, the Tommy Ashley jersey out at the next <laughs> game or something like that. Well, what do you say in a, a jersey with Tommy Ashley's name on it means loser? Oh, nice. I do have no, it a just means uh, backup. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have Velcro on the back so we can put whoever's the current backup quarterback's number on it. I think that's a doable plan. <laughs> this is a good idea. We'll talk to Michelle about this. We'll get this worked out somehow. Um, all right, guys. Next topic. What was your favorite play memory? What's the one thing that you will remember from this season? Buck, since you talked last for the first part of the podcast, you get to, to start us off here. What's your one memory that you will have from the 2019 UNC football season? One moment I don't have, I'll just pick the fourth quarter. Uh, that's the thing that, you know, probably we've not talked about nearly enough the entire year, although Greg Barnes does a pretty good job speaking on it. But the way they played in the fourth quarter, and, and Sam Howell has been great, but the defense, you know, played well in the fourth quarter. Um, uh, their ability to, you know, play in the fourth quarter the way they've done this year has just been outstanding. And uh, I think a lot of that credit goes to, you know, different places. But, you know, I don't think we should ignore uh, the efforts of Brian Hess to keep the guys in good shape and in good condition. And and those guys played a lot of snaps, particularly on defense. So kudos to Brian Hess and A.J. Blue and the entire strength and conditioning staff. Yeah, they have done a great job, I think, so far. And we'll get into probably more into that during the off-season podcast. Mike, what about you? What is the one thing that you will remember? What's going to be your memory from this past season? For me, it was when Daz Newsom caught the go-ahead touchdown against Miami. And um, and the whole stadium erupted, and the little clip was all over ESPN and, and all of that. But that was the moment that I um, – well, I guess I should back up. So that was the end result of what was actually the most impressive play to me. The most impressive play to me that I think that actually set the tone for the rest of the season, particularly for the fourth quarter, like Buck was just talking about, was in that Miami game, and it was a play or two right before that Daz Newsom touchdown, and it was the fourth and 17 conversion when we had to absolutely have it or that game was over. And freshman quarterback in game two of his career um, makes that completion, and it wasn't an easy – I mean, it wasn't easy. Um, offensive line, which was injured, that already lost Polino at that point. Um, offensive line that was injured managed to keep him, keep him clean for that whole play. Gave him plenty of time. He made a good throw, a long throw, converted fourth and seventeen, um, and then a play or two later, they score the go-ahead touchdown. And at that point, I thought, you know, this team might be for real. You know, the one thing that <clears throat> I think doesn't get talked about a lot is, you know, there it's a new coaching staff, it's a new scheme. There's no film on these guys, and this was something that I talked about early in the year, is that they're going to win probably two games this season just by surprising people. Uh, They're going to win it by virtue of not having any film, right? No one's going to have anything to really study on them. So they're going to come out, and they're going to catch people off, off guard, get them on their heels early, and then do just enough to win the game. And that's exactly what I think happened against South Carolina. 
um, against Miami. It looked like it was going that way until I saw fourth and 17 and the game was close in the second half and they had to actually fight and compete um, to win that football game. And that's when I started seeing that falling falling by the wayside. By the end of the year, you know, really it's by by week five, and Jason can talk to this too, can speak to this, I mean. But really by week five, you've got enough film, even on a new staff with some new players at key positions like Sam Howell at quarterback who you'd never seen before because he's a freshman. By week five, you have enough film, and you can game plan legitimately against the team. Um, and and, and that, that, that element of surprise and that newness is all gone at that point. Um, by week five, Carolina was still competitive. And by week five, Carolina was still staying in the game with people. And for the next seven weeks, it was close game after close game, some wins, a couple of losses, and then two blowouts. Um, granted, one was against you know Mercer, but the other was against your in-state rival who you've had very little success against in the past 10 years. So you know that, that really the thing that I think set the tone for the rest of the year was that fourth and 17 conversion against Miami in game two. Um, and then really week five, when you realize the teams had enough film and they could game plan and Carolina was still being competitive and was still executing um, and was just getting better and better, even though they were making small mistakes, they were showing real improvement and promise. So I, I think that's, that's it for me. All right. Well, since he mentioned you, Jason, going to go for you. What's your answer to the question, man? To me, it, it's a, it's, it was initially a hard thing. And then once I thought of the moment, it was like, oh, yeah, that's obviously it for me. And it's the end of the Duke game. Chaz Surratt with the jump pass redemption at the end of the Duke game for a win in a game where really they got outplayed in a good portion of that game. That's a game that they kind of stole. And, you know, they, they, they were the better team, but especially late, they got outplayed and they were, they, they really, especially with how, how that game went late, they should have won. They should have lost that game. And then stealing victory from the jaws of defeat, the defense standing up and and actually making a play and that guy of all people making that play against Duke, that to me, that, that kind of typified the whole season in terms of moving things in the right direction. And I also think that aside from, from Howell, who obviously is the, the, the talk of the season in terms of what he brought and where the quarterback position had been in pre, in recent years and then how well he's played and, what what Carolina fans have to look forward to for the next couple of years. But the other guy that really was the guy this season was Surratt and what he brought to the table on the defensive side of the, of the ball. He, he, his ability to, uh, to play linebacker the way that he did in his first year at the position that changed that defense that made, that gave that defense some teeth that it would not have had otherwise, especially after all those injuries in the secondary and that that play, I think, really that that one sticks out to me is just one of those where you're happy to see it happen with that guy, and also just what it says about the the, the team and and the preparation. Also, I mean, because they knew that play was coming, it just all of those things kind of wrap up in that play for me. All right, final word on this one is yours, Tommy. What do you remember from 2019? Well, Buck brought up a good point about the fourth quarter. And as you guys were talking um, in the longest one or two sentences I've ever heard in my life, I had the opportunity to research. In 2018, Carolina in the fourth quarter was outscored 80 to 49 in the fourth quarter. This year in the fourth quarter, Carolina outscored opponents 106 to 51. I think that's a pretty incredible number, pretty incredible turnaround. Speaks a ton about strength and the conditioning and the staff that Mac Brown was able to put together. As far as the play, I think the easy one to pick is the Miami game. I mean, that was crazy. Um, like Mike says, the fourth and 17 conversion there was ridiculous. Uh, I don't think there's – given what Carolina's done the past two years or really ever – I don't think there was anybody in Keenan Stadium thought they were going to get that fourth and 17. And, and when that happened, it seemed like the touchdown was sort of inevitable. But I'll go back even to the first game of the year, and that's Woolfolk's interception that pretty much ended that South Carolina game. Watching it um, in a crowd of inside Carolina people um, and to see the looks on their faces when that happened to realize Carolina was actually going to win that game. Um, 
that was a huge moment for the program. It was the very first game of the year. And, you know, I hate to put the defining play in the first game, but I thought that was a huge, huge play just to win that game. And it, and it sort of made the rest of the season, the expectations went through the roof. But, you know, Chaz's interception against Duke, yes, greatest individual play for sure. Uh, but I think the interception by Wolfork there against South Carolina that sealed that win really set the tone for the season and allowed Mac Brown to get off head of, ahead of schedule, uh, you know, and it sort of erased a lot of doubts that maybe a lot of people had. And that See, was a must-win game too, wasn't it, Tommy? I, I for Mac Brown and yes, I know it's a funny statement, but I thought that game they had to win that game for to get the fan base fully on board with Mac Brown, and they got it done. See, I just must be way more petty than you guys are because my favorite moment was the NC State second half. I mean, <laughs> even though I was on an airplane and I didn't actually get to watch it till I landed, I literally just started bursting laughing in RDU when I saw some of the plays that happened and especially a certain linebacker for NC State who shall not be named getting thrown out the club, as Mike and EJ put it. That was my favorite moment. That by, a, by a backup. Yes. Well, let, let, let me tell you, that that was impressive. That that GIF will live forever. A freshman forever. backup. A GIF or GIF or whatever you call it will live forever. But let me tell you, folks that have followed North Carolina football for a long time, that's what they expect Carolina to do to NC State. I realize that they haven't over the years. And a lot of the young folks, like yourself, John, say that was the greatest moment of the season. But that game in Carter-Finley is what North Carolina fans that have been around forever sort of expect it to happen. Um, it was good to see that it happened, especially given how it went down. But that those are the type games that North Carolina fans that have been around forever, especially when Mike Brown was here the first time, expect to see um, you know Jamie Bar- Barnett getting wrecked by Kay Mays and Brian Simmons uh, teeing off on – Philip Rivers and all those type things. Um, North Carolina fans expect that. So that that state game, that second half was, as we've said already, was a nice bow on top of a very good season. And see, unfortunately, the results against state have not been, you know, what they were in the past recently. But I think the tide is turning there, recruiting wise, especially. It's been brought up a lot, just the comparison between the classes. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast after this last commercial break. We'll be right back after this. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast for the 2019 Football Roundup Roundtable. Guys, for the last part of this, let's look forward towards the future. Tommy was just waxing poetically about the past there. Let's go ahead, though, and think about the 2020 UNC Tar Heels and how this season sets them up for the future. The schedule, I think, is going to be a little bit more difficult overall, but not by much because you do have a tougher opponent when they have to travel for the ACC or the Chick-fil-A kickoff. I don't even really remember what the official name is at this point, but then they don't play Clemson in the crossover. So let's get it out the way with Mr. Doc Staples leading us off for this one. When you're looking forward to 2020, how do you think this season set up that upcoming year well I think the biggest thing is that it's it's allowed the players to see what 
and I think I'm muted, aren't I? Oh, I'm not. No, you're not. All right. I'm not editing that out either. Keep talking. Well, I think the biggest thing is that basically the uh, the players got a chance to see what level of of play they're actually capable of, and what basically what the necessary standard is going to be for them to to move forward. And I mean, Mike Mike can talk about this, but that's such a big deal to 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 realize. Like, wait a second, we can actually do this. Like we can actually compete at this level, but it's going to take this and recognizing that level of focus and that level of the, the standard that's required and building in some of the leadership. I mean, I think you, we also saw the development of some leadership in this, in, in this year's team to see, and, and from some young guys, from some guys that are going to be, be back next year, that's all really positive, And that's all stuff that's going to come out of, of this season moving forward in the next season. The other thing is that, it really was it was the the transitional year schematically to let guys get used to what they're going to be doing next year that second year they're going to take a huge leap forward in terms of what they're able to do schematically defensively for example and partly just because of personnel they'll be able to cover team cover people on the outside with all the all the guys that they're getting in the secondary next year and suddenly you're looking at a different a, a, an entirely different beast defensively you combine improved leadership another year of that leadership and, and learning that standard in the off season with the ability to add some of those wrinkles and some of the stuff that you couldn't do this year, both for personnel reasons and because it's a new system. And I think that that's really what this year was about. That's what it's setting up. And next year really becomes the year where you try to take one more step forward for two years from now, which is the launch year really. And, and to me, Next year is is that one step forward. You try to try to just make sure that you raise the level just a little bit more. That you win a few more of those games on the margin. You get some of those games that were on the margin and and get those off the margin. And I'm not sure how much better the the record not, might be next year. I mean, I think that's going to be a tough tough season. I mean, you got Auburn and UCF both on the schedule non conference. It's going to be a tough year, but. The, the question is, are you going to be able to take a step forward, maybe win one or two more games and then uh, and, and just raise the overall level of play and be ready to, to launch the next year after that? I think that's what this what this year sets up. All right. Well, we're going to say, save Mike Longwinded Ingersoll until last on this one. I'm going to turn it over to Buck. How do you think this season shows what the Tar Heels can do for 2020? Well, I will tell you what I hope it, how it sets them up for next year. And uh, Tommy and I have talked about this for years and other people have too, that uh, it just seems like every now and then North Carolina will go into a game and not treat the other team seriously, not think the other team is capable of beating them and end up getting their butt kicked. And, uh, you know, in that way, maybe the Appalachian State game was good for them because after that game, um, it just looked, that game looked like, and people commented on it, and I think the staff commented on it, Mac Brown commented on it, that, look, uh, you know, playing hard is, you know, is one, playing hard is one thing, but um, against every opponent, you, you've got to, to just feel it in your bones every time you take the field that you're going to get everybody's best shot and that you can play as hard as you want to, but if you don't play with passion, you're, you could easily get your butt kicked. And the, the week after that, they came out and there was no question, even though they lost the game that they played with real passion against Clemson. And I think those two games coming together the way they did, the Clemson game following the App State game and how they both went into both of those games, uh, maybe I'm hoping that that's a lesson that they can carry forward uh, in the future when they play play an opponent that, uh, say, doesn't really get your juices flowing. They got to play, you know, Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech and, when Georgia Tech is not very good, not that they're not going to be good down the road, but they're, they're going to be games they're going to play against an opponent that 
uh, you know, it looks like, you know, the ESPN, FPI is giving them a 80% chance to win and they just kind of blow it off. Um, and as, as they have in the past that, you know, I hope what they got out of this season and how it sets them up for next season is the, the ability or the knowledge to that every game they play, you know, they've, they've got to come with 100% effort. I know that's hard to do over a course of a season, and there's going to be times when you might be emotionally down here or there. But um, I think that I hope they have internalized that message from this year, and it'll be less of an issue moving forward for UNC. All right, Tommy, you're up next, man. Go ahead. You know, I think if they win eight games next year, that's a smashing success. I agree with Buck and – Jason's schedule is going to be different. I think they need to win one of those first two. Um, I'm going to be interested to see what the roster looks like. Um, there's going to be some turnover one way or another, and I'm interested to see how many of these recruits that are coming in in this class, this this coming class that they wrap up um, in less than a week for all intents and purposes – how they fit in and how many of those guys are playing. Um, you know, it, I've said it and we've hinted at it on this show. 2021's the, as Jason put it, the launch year. So next year, this needs to be a continuation of implementing the system. Bateman being able to do everything he wants to do on defense. Um, the strength and conditioning with Hess and his crowd building those guys up and just keep the positive momentum. I kind of sound like Charlie Brown with Lucy and the football uh, because I've been around long enough to know, as has Buck, that um, if you get too up for Carolina football, something's going to kick you in the gut at some point. But uh, I think if they get to eight wins next year, and it everything remains positive. I mean, when you've got a quarterback like Sam Howell, uh, anything's certainly possible. And they need to get a backup that's healthy and available every game. But you know, this bowl game, I yeah, I think they if they win this bowl game, that just sort of kickstarts the next season. And I know it doesn't ultimately matter six and seven, seven and six, but I think it's just more positive momentum. I don't think Carolina football can have too much positive momentum going into next season and it'd be interesting to see how Mac manages the offseason uh, he won last offseason he's won this season how he wins uh, the next offseason into next year it'll, it'll be interesting to watch I, I think the program's definitely trending in the right direction I'm just a little hesitant to you know leave everything behind and jump on the bandwagon totally and completely close but not quite. Mike, go ahead. And from the player's perspective, speaking as someone that has gone through the ups and downs, how does this season translate into 2020? What are your expectations going in to the next year under Mac Brown 2.0? There's going to be a hype train and it's already left the station and the off season is going to be nothing but distractions. And it's going to be really hard for <laughs> even as even keeled a guy as Sam Howell is from everything that I understand about him and, how calm he is and collected and all of that, it's going to be hard not to let some of this stuff go to your head. And it doesn't necessarily affect, you know, how you train. If you're a hard worker, you're going to be a hard worker, whether you're cocky or not. Um, and if you're lazy, you're going to be lazy, whether you're cocky or not. Um, what it's going to affect is um, the way you're, the way you process information and the, and the, and the expectations you have for yourself when you go out onto the field. And if you're expecting yourself to be all world, typically what happens is, the first sign of trouble, um, you, 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 you either beat up on yourself a little bit more or the ego hit is a little stronger than it would otherwise be. And that is what leads to sophomore slumps and things like that. And I, I use Sam as the example, but you know, there were a lot of people that had big years, um, you know, this year that are in a position to maybe have a little bit of a letdown next year. Some of them are in positions where, the, they they don't necessarily have the the cushion that Sam does right. They're just they're they're farther along in their careers. So, you know, a, a Diami Brown, Chaz Surratt, those guys they're 
they have to find a way to keep themselves a little more even keeled and keep the ego in check, which, and I don't know them personally. I don't expect that to really be a problem, but every once in a while you get surprised. Um, so that's, that's something I would be on the lookout for. Um, you know, I'm big on tempering expectations. The fact of the matter is we have an opening game. Uh, it's, it's on the road, right? At UCF. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Mm. Uh, that's no picnic. No, tough game. Real tough game. I don't think they've lost down there in two years. I don't think they've lost a home game in two years. Somebody could check me on that. But and it's going to be Orlando, which those of you who spent time in Florida, Orlando is in the middle <laughs> of the state. It's nice and landlocked and hotter than hell. Um, and plus, you've got those aluminum bleachers going to be uh, cascading rays of sunshine and heat, baking that field all day long. Um, it's going to be a tough environment. You know, you, you couple the environmental issues, literally, you know, Al Gore's environment, that that environment with the college football atmosphere, the student environment of a team that hasn't lost a game, like Buck just said, um, in two years at home, that's going to be a really tough hill to climb. Now, you win that game, you pull off a shocker like they did against um, like they did against South Carolina this year, and you've got some momentum going into what is going to be a very, very difficult game against a very good Auburn team. Um, they have a young quarterback, uh, Bo Nix, who's going to be better next year. Gus Malzahn is, you know, the kind of coach that's always got something for you offensively. Um, and it's, it's an SEC opponent and, you know, for better, for worse, you know, they, they recruit well and where the SEC beats you, it's not, they're starting 22 guys. It's the depth they have. That's where, that's where SEC teams, that's the difference between SEC teams and football right now. And some of these other schools and some of these other conferences, it's just the depth. It's not general talent. It's just how much talent they have. Um, so it's going to be a, a difficult game down in Atlanta. Based, you know, it, it, it's SEC country. It'll be a heavy Auburn crowd. I'll be there. I'm planning on being there. Uh, but you've got two really tough games to open up the year. So, you know, temper your expectations. You've got a lot of guys that had a lot of success this year that you know are are either young or haven't had it in the past, and you need to see how they handle it on a personal level. And then you need to see how that team responds. You know, you got two teams that are going to be coming out to punch you in the mouth first two games of the year. So what happens if you start 0-2 or 1-1 and as opposed to 2-0 and last year? Do you compare yourself to this year's team or do you understand that there's going to be bumps in the road and it's still a work in progress? That's, that's going to be that, – that's, that's what I'm looking for. And if they can weather the storm of the first two games next season, I think eight wins is absolutely reasonable and it should be the expectation. Anything short of that will be a letdown. I think eight wins is going to be really tough next year. I mean, you want that to be – the expectation, but to me, I if they win seven games next year, just based on what I'm seeing on the schedule, I would probably regard that as a success. But well, if they go two and zero, oh, I mean, out of the next ten games, I mean, they should they should win six of the next ten games. Wouldn't you yeah, agree? No, if they if they win two, if they win the first two, then that's all my bets point. Are off. Yeah, at two at yeah. two and zero, oh, eight at, at two and zero, oh, eight and four becomes the expectation. At yeah. oh, at zero zero, it's not eight and four. I'd say I'm, I'm with you. Seven and five is the expectation. Yeah, I think I think I think you have to feel like one game better next year, and you're in position to really do something the next, the year after that. UNC started two and zero this year. A lot of people thought that the expectations were going to go off through the roof. You know, they hit some bumps in the road. Next year, though, I agree with you guys. I think overall, if they do start off two and zero, the expectations of the fan base. But inside Carolina, I don't know if anyone is listening to this. That's not on the Tar Pit Premium Message Board. But it was a fun year on the message board overall. People were actually super interested in football again for the first time in several seasons. If they can pull off an upset or two, even starting one and one, I think that the fan base is going to get all in under Mac Brown 2.0, even more so than what they are now, if you can believe it. Guys, we'll go ahead and wrap it up, though. It was a ton of fun to speak with all of y'all tonight. The technical glitches, the mutings aside, I hope everyone who's listening in enjoys was most likely going to be a rough cut podcast. We'll go ahead, though, call this one to an end. Hope you guys have a great rest of your night and a good rest of the week. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.